So when I became a youth pastor, uh, I became the high school chaplain of a football team, and I had no idea what I was doing, but I did know this. Ministry 101 is offer free food. You guys understand? And so, and y'all laugh, but you know a lot of people are going to be in heaven on account of some free pizza, okay? So that's Ministry 101. So I'm like, all right, I don't know what I'm doing, but after I go to practice, I would say, hey, here's the deal. I'll buy you dinner, but you have to talk to me about Jesus or your life. And so I find myself uh, at the International House of Pancakes, uh, IHOP. I'm sitting across from this guy, and he is uh, just normally, he's not a believer. He has zero concept for the Bible at all, and we're talking about life. And I'm like, do you have any questions about God? And he looks at me and asks a question that I will never forget for the rest of my life. And he looks at me and he says, help me understand one thing about God. Why would God call himself a dog? My reaction exactly. I had no idea what he was talking about. It's like seminary didn't prepare me for that one. And then he looks at me and says, the Lord is my shepherd. Why would God equate himself to a German shepherd? In the Bible. And you can sign up to serve with youth after the service, but this moment for me was kind of like an earth-shattering, like, whoa, you have no idea, but this is the most common verse you've heard. And i got to be honest, if you were a fly on the wall, he had some great arguments. He was like, God is dog spelled backwards. There's no way that God could be a cat person. I'm like, amen, that's true. It's biblical. So we're having this conversation, but it illuminates something that I learned that day, that so many verses can be misapplied, even if they're the most famous verse that so many of us have heard. And so today, we're going to be looking at one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So that's the title of this sermon, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. And uh, all joking aside, um, this passage of scripture has brought consolation to the lonely and the isolated. It's brought hope to the depressed. It's brought peace to the anxious. It's comforted griefs. It's brought about more courage than any communicator could or inspiration could. In fact, I believe this, that many a believer have actually been ushered in from the present age of this world into the presence of Jesus by these words in Psalm 23. In fact, I just want to speak personally that I know that uh, a friend of ours who's here today had to say goodbye to her mother last week and used these verses that we're about to read. I know of somebody else in our church right now who's dreading a surgery that's coming up this week, and these verses hopefully are providing some comfort. Even for me, personally, last year, our mom, really bad turn with her, with her cancer, stage four cancer, is not looking good, but the Lord was my shepherd, and the Lord was her shepherd. Or my wife and I, last year, we had two miscarriages. In the middle of those miscarriages, the Lord was my shepherd. In fact, this passage of scripture has so impacted us, my wife and I included, that when we welcomed the birth of our son a month ago into the world, we named him Shepherd. So I have a picture of him if you want to see him and smile, hopefully. <laughs> there's, there's Shepherd Dunn, who is not pictured as my toddler who's uh, in the process of sanctifying my wife at this moment, that we're getting this beautiful picture. Uh, but I want you to know this, that before he, we went into the hospital, we prayed Psalm 23 over his life. And then the moment that he was born, and all the chaos was happening, and the doctors are finally leaving the room, and he's laying there on my wife's chest, and I got to open up the Bible and lean down. Some of the first words he ever hears, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. That's who you're named after. So I had these moments, just to, to clarify to you, that this verse is not just something I'm going to preach. This verse 
has impacted me personally. And why this is so important is because I believe that this passage of Scripture most clearly outlines the deepest longing of your soul, the deepest need of your life, the deepest want you could ever get in this world. This passage of Scripture shows us how we have a relationship with the God of the universe. And this is so powerful for us that when David outlines Psalm 23 and relays it to us, this is the relational dynamic that the triune God wants to have with all of humanity, but not just all of humanity, how he wants to have a personal relationship with you and with me, that the words we're going to read today outline how we are to do that. So if you came into church today, I love we were just singing those songs. If you came into church today and you are in need, you are in lack, you are hungry, you are desperate, you're looking at a dark valley in front of your path right now, today is for you. And we're going to read Psalm 23. So if you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up. Hold up in Birmingham. Hold it up whatever room you're in right now. And leave it up if you are single. We have a lot of dating to talk about. Wow, everybody dropped in the 8 a.m. Um, got taken after Valentine's Day. Uh, that's good. Um, how about this? If you're a real single, stand up. I'm just kidding. Don't do it. <laughs> You'll never not be single if you do. I'm just kidding. All right. So how about this? How about we help our brothers out? How about all of us stand up? We're going to stand for the reading of the word. And if you can't, no shame in that. But we're going to read the word of God together and honor it by standing. So I just got to be honest up front as everybody's kind of standing up. Uh, we're going to live in this passage the whole time. All my time is just going to be spent in here. So we're going to make some points as we go. But I want the word of God here to be whatever I'm trying to say. So we're going to read this together. Looks like everyone's there. So Psalm 23, if you're there, say I'm there. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. You can be seated. So just some context real quick is that this is the life journey of David. David was a shepherd boy turned to an anointed king. And so I believe you can't really understand what God, what the Lord as your shepherd is until you understand your nature as a sheep. So a few years ago, Miles preached a message about anxiety and used this passage of scripture. And, and really the title of the sermon was I'm a sheep. And I think he's going to bring it back. And so here's what you need to know about being a sheep. Sheep are nature's victim. They are they need the most endless attention. They need meticulous care. They're actually really dumb. They're really helpless. They're so obedient, in fact, that entire flocks of sheep have walked off the side of cliffs because they heard their shepherd in the echo. The shepherd's calling over here. They hear him over here, so they walk off the cliff. That is how dumb yet obedient they are. So congratulations. You made it to church today. You're a sheep. Just here to encourage you. All right, look at your neighbor and say, I'm a sheep. Some of y'all, that really makes sense. Tell it to your other neighbor. Say, I'm a sheep. 
So here's why that's good news, and you can write this down. I'm going to put it on the screen. The experience of a shepherd depends solely on the goodness of the shepherd. The experience of a sheep depends solely on the goodness of the shepherd, and you have a good shepherd. His name is Jesus. In fact, you want to know the secret to being a sheep? You have all that you need in your shepherd. You, have, you don't like anything if you have him. And so David is communicating this desperate need that he has for God, and he's using a particular literary device that we have talked about at this church before where there's some sort of order behind what he's saying. And if you're smiling, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is a chiasm. Yes, and if you don't know what a chiasm is, it's a literary structure using content to push you to the center of the passage to find its meaning. So we're going to put this on the screen just so I can show you what it is. So it starts off, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So you have the Lord and you have no lack. And then it ends dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Congratulations, you have no lack. You're in the house of the Lord forever. Then it moves on. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and there's quiet waters. So there's provision. So food, pastures, drink, waters. And then at the end, he talks about the table in the presence of my enemies, but the cup that overflows. There you have it again, provision, food, and drink. And then he says, he guides me along the right path, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. So what does that mean? It means that he's protecting you by guiding you and comforting you. And after, what does he say? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod typically guides sheep, and a staff comforts sheep. Which brings me to the point of the entire passage right here in the middle is, for you are with me. For you are with me. What is the point of Psalm 23? It's right here in the center. Right up front, I want to show you. This is how God has always related to humanity. He has always been with us. So God is not this distant person from you until you get your life together. God is not some angry eye in the sky looking down on you. No, God is with you. The story cover to cover of the Bible is that God is with you. And what's amazing about this psalm is that Jesus, when he shows up, fully embodies it. In the center embedded in Psalm 23 is the incarnation, the good shepherd of Jesus. Did you know this? That most likely a lot of scholars believe that this is like a song that people would sing. So when Jesus was walking the earth, Psalm 23 was like his background music. It was like, I, that's who I am. That's who I am. I'm the one who leads you. I'm the good shepherd. And then he says it in John chapter 10. So let's walk through this together. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice how this psalm is about God, not about you. Starts off the Lord. But David uses a pretty interesting word there. My shepherd. Think about this. In an Eastern worldview, every single time that they're talking about sheep, it's always communal. I mean, think about even the English language. You have one sheep and you have multiple sheep. You just talk about sheep like that. It's just Usually, when you're talking about sheep, it's communal and it's plural. But here, David takes a stab at something that the Eastern worldview would be like, whoa, what is he talking about? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And think about this. This is so interesting. David uses two things that should not go together, two words that should not go together. I don't know if you know this, but in the Hebrew language, the word for friend comes from shepherd. So what David's saying is, Yahweh, the Lord, the self-evident, self-existent, Holy one, the great I am that appeared to Moses is my shepherd, my friend. I have a personal relationship with him. Therefore, ver continuing in verse 1, I lack nothing. So here's where I need to stop you. 
and provide a little bit of clarity, this passage is not about God's fulfillment of your own selfish wants and desires. This passage is about God's fulfillment of our deepest spiritual need only found in a relationship with him. So God's goodness is not dependent upon whether or not you get what you think you want. God's goodness is dependent on his character for his name's sake in a relationship with him. So the danger I see, there's two dangers I see with that first verse, is that God is only good, this is a lie, God is only good if you lack nothing. Or, number two, if you lack nothing, then you don't need God. And here's what I've noticed. By the way, this is why Jesus says it in his teaching. He says it's easier for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. Sorry, it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. And he says that, you know why? Because it's really hard to need God when everything around you shows you that you have no need. How do, I, how do I create desperation for God? He's saying, right in front of us, right now, if you have God, you lack nothing. So let me just be honest with you guys right up front. Um, I obviously am a college pastor at Auburn University. And so I found this study that blew me away when I first moved here. And pre-pandemic, Auburn University did a study, and they tried to figure out what was the average household income of the family that sends their kid to Auburn. So what is the household income of all the kids showing up here that I'm supposed to pastor? <coughs> And the research study came back and showed us that if you come to Auburn, the average household income that you came from in state is $175,000 per year. The average in state, Alabama only, person who sends their kid to Auburn. It's the average. And then 40% of the body, student body, is out of state. And the average out of state household income of a family or a parent that sends their kid to Auburn is $320,000. If you want to know, it's the top, top three in the entire country. Okay. So I'm the college pastor. What do you think I spend my time doing? I'm trying to pastor students who have all the money they ever need, who have all the opportunity they could ever want, who have a long runway, even if they fail over and over and over and over again, yet so many of them that I meet day after day are so anxious they're so depressed. They're so worried about their future. They're so worried if they're going to make it. And they have all the security and comfort that this world has to offer, yet they're sitting in front of me. And I can only tell them, it's because you still have a need for God. You still have this longing in you. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have. You still need God. And one of those students uh, shared a story with me last week to a group of us. And I got permission to share this story. And this is just an example. He said, I was uh, in college and I was downtown and I met a girl downtown. And I'm trying to like prove that I'm a good enough guy for her. So the only thing I knew to do was to invite her to church the next day. So he invites a girl that he meets downtown to come to church. And the whole point of him coming to church was so that they could go to dinner after church. And he just heard about ACC. So he comes to ACC. So here he is. He shows up with a girl that he barely knows that he just met. And he's sitting in the audience for the Remnant series. <laughs> Wrong time to show up, friend. Shows up. Miles is going off, of course. And then you have this moment where the gospel is being preached. And he's wrecked. He's sitting next to this girl he barely knows, and he's weeping, and he's trying to make sure she can't see, and he's crying. And then by the time they sang promises, he said he was an absolute puddle on the floor. And at some point during the gathering, he says, he looks over at the girl and says, I don't think we're going to get food tonight. <laughs> you want to know what's interesting about that guy? Right now, he's about to enter into a nine-month training program to go overseas to an unreached people group. 
You know, right now, he's discovering what it means to live fully on purpose, to live anointed, to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the reason why you have breath in your lungs. So what do you think I do? What is my calling? My calling is telling these students all the time, you don't need another hookup. You don't need another stamp on your passport. You don't need another accolade for your resume. You don't need another night. You won't remember with friends who will forget you. You need a shepherd. You need Jesus. And he's worth everything. And you lack nothing. If you have them. So point number one is this. I lack nothing when I embrace my need for God. I lack nothing when I embrace my need for God. And I just want to challenge you that some of you are living a life completely independent from a felt need of God. So verse 2. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So in knowing that I was going to name my son Shepherd, I discovered a little book called A Shepherd's View of Psalm 23 by a man named Philip Keller. And Philip Keller is a shepherd who lived in Kenya and then became a pastor. And so when he was uh, dissecting this verse, he said, a shepherd cannot make a sheep lie down. Meaning you can't just like push a sheep down or else it'll pop right back up. So what a shepherd has to do is take care of four conditions. If he takes care of these four conditions, it will make the sheep lie down. And here are the four conditions. I'll put them on the screen. Food, friction, flies, and fear. Food, friction, flies, and fear. So I'm going to talk about each one of these. But first, I need to show you a picture that I think a lot of us have in our minds about this verse that is completely false. So I have a perception versus reality picture I want to put up on the screen. Perception of us in Psalm 23 this is what we're experiencing. Reality, I don't know if you've ever been in the Middle East, there's no green pastures like that. Reality of this psalm is probably on the right. So I just want you, I'm sorry if I blew your world view right now, but most likely what is being described is a shepherd in that type of environment. So let's go to food. Think about food. If you're hungry or thirsty, a sheep will not lie down. What's interesting about the still waters or the quiet waters is that a sheep gets so full of wool that even if there's the slowest current, the wool will get wet and they'll slowly fall into the stream and get swept away. And on top of that, their, their, their wool can get so thick that they can get stuck on their back. And so food, if they're hungry or thirsty, they'll get swept away. And number two, you got friction. So they have, uh, so they're extremely social animals. They're actually really competitive with one another. There's something called the budding order amongst them. But what's interesting is they'll literally kick out a sheep sometimes, and the sheep will get stuck. So at the end of the day, when the shepherd does his count, and he's like, where's I'm missing one or I'm missing two, he'll go back, and sometimes he'll find them stuck on their back because they've been kicked out by the group. And when they're sitting on their back, what's interesting is that even if the shepherd flips them over onto their feet, they're so traumatized that the shepherd, they won't move. So the shepherd has to pick them up, put them on their shoulders, and carry them back to the group. But what's interesting is when they enter back into the flock, because of the shepherd's presence, the friction among them ends. Because the shepherd's there, the friction among them ends. So let's go to flies. Talk about some flies. Here's what you know. They're so stupid. I told you that, right? They're so stupid that flies will actually lay eggs inside their nose, and they're so aggravated by that feeling that they will bang their head against a rock until they kill themselves. Unless the shepherd steps in and uses oil to soothe the aggravation and the frustration. And as soon as he does that, they'll lie down. And the last thing is fear. I don't know if you know this, but sheep have zero defense mechanisms. A cat has claws, a dog has teeth, a deer can at least run. And not outrun some of you guys, but a deer can at least run. And so a sheep has none of those. 
They don't have claws. They don't have a bite that's dangerous. And they can't outrun one single predator that they have. They're 100% dependent on the protection of the shepherd. But the good thing they do is they follow the voice of their shepherd. So here's where it applies to us. Think about this. Wool in the Bible is used to describe your sinful self. So think about that, that current. Used to describe your sinful self, meaning you get so weighed down by worry, you get so weighed down by anxiety, your hands get so full of all the stuff of this world that doesn't matter, that when the current of this world sweeps you away, you didn't even see it coming. Or think about the fact that you get stuck on your back in a bed of sin, quite literally unable to pick yourself up out of the pit of shame unless a good shepherd does it for you. Or what about the flies and the fear? Or should I say the lies of the enemy that have slowly infiltrated your brain and continue to infiltrate your brain over and over and over again, trying to convince you to do what? To kill yourself. To bang your head against the wall. But here's what's interesting. Romans 8 gives us the answer to that. Did you know that if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you and is counteracting every single lie with truth? In fact, Romans 8.16 says this, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So every week we get up here and we talk about suicide. The reason why we talk about it so much is because I know somebody's in here who's had that thought. I'm here today to tell you that's from the pit of hell. That's from Satan himself. Jesus wins. He's won your story. The enemy will be a footstool. God is still here and God is still moving. It's not over for you. Jesus is enough. He's your good shepherd and he's leading you. So why focus on these four things? Because notice how God makes you lie down. I feel like I've always heard this and I've always thought, he's angry at me, he's disciplining me, he's making me lie down. But it is God's kindness, the shepherd's kindness that leads us to repentance, according to Romans 2. Notice how kind he has been. Because at the end of verse four or verse two, it says, he refreshes my soul. Did you know that the only hope that you have as a sheep is for a good shepherd? Because an unaided sheep cannot find its way home without the intervention of a good shepherd. And those two words, restores my soul, by the way, in the Hebrew language, you'd immediately think repentance and salvation. It's like saying God is causing me to repent for salvation. God is causing me to repent through his kindness. So what's the point? point for me is that after he causes us to repent, after he causes us to lie down, then he does what? Verse three, he guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Do you know every shepherd has a unique song? They'll sing a song and it's specific to their sheep. It's why they usually stand behind a group. If you think about David, why he had a sling, it's because he'll throw rocks from behind the shepherd or from behind the sheep and he'll steer them in a certain way. It's why Isaiah 30, 21, if you've ever read that verse, it says, whether you go to the left or you go to the right, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. He's talking about shepherd language there. And so what's interesting to me is that sheep are animals of the ears, not of the eyes. But people are creatures of the eyes, not the ears. So we trust more in what we see than what God says. And it drives us crazy, right? But what's interesting is God's word, illuminated by God's spirit, is the voice that guides us on the right path. God's word plus God's spirit is guiding us. And what God says matters more than what I see. You know, in the 1930s, the Palestine government sequestered thousands of sheep in this area that I showed earlier. Thousands of sheep. And there was this little orphan shepherd boy who had eight sheep. The deal was that if you can get the money together, then you can come buy back your sheep that the government took. So this little shepherd boy shows up to the officer with his money and says, I want to get back my eight sheep. And the guy laughs at him and says, this is thousands of sheep. There's no way that you're going to be able to find your eight sheep. And the guy, little boy just starts smiling and he starts singing his song. 
He starts walking away, and the guard watches as eight sheep slowly follow him home. Do you listen to Jesus that way? Are you that attentive to know when he's calling? Because point number two is this. I lack nothing when I respond to the voice of God. I lack nothing when I respond to the voice of God. And here's, let me just go over there for a second. I talk to so many people, and I'm like, do you know Jesus? And they're like, yes. I prayed the prayer, I'm good. And then I say, all right, well, do you know his voice? And a lot of people say, well, yeah, I mean, I read, his, I read the Bible every now and then, yeah. Okay, well, let me ask just an invasive question for you to think about later. What was the last thing that Jesus said to you? What was the last thing he said to you? He's a good shepherd. What's the last thing he said to you? And did you obey it? Because I've found in my life personally that true freedom from anxiety is listening and just following the last directive from my shepherd. True freedom from trying to control everything is just letting God control it and obeying the last thing that he spoke. I lack nothing when I respond to the voice of the shepherd. And he does this for his name's sake. Isn't it great news that God is staking his reputation on your journey in life following him? Isn't it great that he's doing all this for his name's sake? Which brings us to the confusing question in verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So here's the question I get asked so many times. So following God then will take you through the darkest valley. Yes. That's actually how he's leading you, purposefully through the valley. And here's where, just to be honest, here's where our theological worldview about a good shepherd, about the goodness of the shepherd, is not big enough. Because so many of us have underappreciated the value and the view of the sovereignty of God. Meaning, so many of us have not used the sovereignty of God as a source of comfort, as a source of peace, as a source of knowing where to go next. Instead, we've used the sovereignty of God as a weapon against God for having to go through the dark valley in the first place. We miss out on what he's doing right in front of us. We say, God, if, if you're in control, then why am I going through this? God, God if, if you're a good shepherd, why am I going through the valley? But the fact that God is in complete control should fill you with more peace than anxiety, should fill you with more hope than despair, should give you more peace as you step into the calling that he has on your life because he's a good shepherd and he knows how to walk you through the valley. In other words, it is a good thing that God is God and you are not. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. This is what's interesting. We don't view God's sovereignty in the way that we should because our theological framework is not big enough to hold in one hand the sovereignty of God but also the suffering of man. So if you're walking through the valley, that means one of two things. It means you either have a better place to get to, or it means he has a purpose for you in the valley. So if you think about it, a better place, I don't know if you know this, but a valley is actually the most well-watered route. It's the easiest way to get to greener pastures of the mountain. So a sheep will automatically trust the shepherd's version of what is good for them. He'll just follow the voice. And this is who God has always been. If you think about it, think about this. As he called his people through the dry ground of the valley of the Red Sea, what, what do you have from on the other side? Freedom. Think about the 40 years of valley wandering in the desert to get to the promised land. So you and I walk through these valleys, and there's a version of good that's better than our version. So maybe there's a purpose for you in the valley. Maybe you're going through the valley because guess what? God wants to meet you there. This is crazy. I know, it's radical. But in my relationship with Jesus, can I just be honest? I mean, it doesn't take anything but a crisis of life to turn my view of God into a cry for God. What I mean by that 
is that I have this theological worldview, and you and I do the same thing. We're in the green pastures, and we're in the quiet waters, and we have everything that we need. We're, man, God is so awesome. He does this. He does this. He does this. I talk a lot about God in those seasons, but when I have a crisis of life and I'm walking through the valley, man, I cry out to God. It changes me because God is closest in the valley. Did you know this, that when sheep are headed through the valley, like I said, a shepherd's calling from behind them, telling them where to go, but when they go through a dark valley, the shepherd moves to the middle of them. The shepherd moves to the middle of them because the shepherd needs to be closest when the, when the valley is darkest. This is what's so crazy. Is that's the good shepherd that we have. He's following us, or he's, he's leading us through the valley. That's why David says, for you are with me. God always purposes the valley. So I just want to use one final illustration of why it's good that God is God and you are not. Can we have some fun together? Can we laugh a little bit together? All right. Uh, some of you will laugh larger than others, but um, I want you to picture your middle school love life, okay? Got some laughs, of course, I know. I want you to picture your middle school love life. Think of that first love in middle school. You know what happens? You float that hand out, and then someone grabs it. It's like, like a jolt. It's like, that's love. It's like, no, that's, that's puberty. But you grab hold, and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm in love. Two weeks, this is amazing. And then what happened? It all came crashing down, and you got broken up with, and it was so hard. And three weeks, by the way, in uh, like middle school and high school relationships is like dog years emotionally. You're like, we've been together three years. It's been three weeks. You know what I mean? So what happened? You got broken up with, and the only reason why you're crying out to God saying, she was the one, he was the one. It's like you had one class together, and you both loved the Backstreet Boys. But you're like, yes, this is my love. And you cried out, tell me why. Yes. I hope you finished that in your head. And I know I'm, I'm trying to make fun of something, but aren't you so glad you weren't God then? <laughs> Think back to your middle school love. Aren't you so glad that God didn't listen to you when you said he's the one, bring him back? Like, aren't you so glad? And if you married your middle school crush, congratulations, we don't like you. Um, <laughs> or we just assume you're homeschooled. Sorry, um, uh, too far. But now, congratulations, you're a mature, sophisticated adult. So why do you think it'd be better now if you were God? Why do you think it'd be better if you were in control? Because I hear people all the time say, well, if it was up to me, I'd be married by now. Well, if it was up to me, I'd already know where my career's going. Well, if it was up to me. Well, maybe the lack that you feel is actually a false belief that you'd be better off outside the care of your shepherd. Maybe it's just a, a lack of trust to know that he's enough. So I got to move on. Verse four, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the rod is symbolic of the word of God. It corrects, it rebukes. Think 2 Timothy 3 what the word of God does for us. And then the staff is symbolic of the spirit of God. Think about Moses when he parted the sea, he used the staff, movements of God. The spirit of God is always symbolic of the staff. So he comforts us just like the Holy Spirit. So once again, the relational dynamic that you are to have with God, the voice you are to hear from God is found on the other side of a walking with God through the word of God and the spirit illuminating Christ in it. So verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. See, David's transitioning from the shepherd boy to the, the anointed king. And this is actually a retelling of 1 Samuel 16. And it's this moment where Samuel the prophet shows up at Jesse, Jesse's house, and says, do you have any sons? I'm supposed to anoint one. And then all seven of the sons pass by, and he's like, it's none of these guys. Do you have any more sons? And he's like, yeah, I have one son, David, but he's out back. He's a small boy. He's tending the sheep. And they say, bring him in. And 1 Samuel 16 says this, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord 
came powerfully upon David. And I love that David wrote the psalm, and I love that David is the line to Jesus. So the last point I have is, I lack nothing when I step into the anointing of God. I lack nothing when I step into the anointing of God. See, a divine calling means that you have a special purpose that God has for you. It means you have an anointing. But I love how he anoints him in the presence of his enemies, not the presence of his friends. Notice, I think it's crazy. Maybe some of your friends are actually the hostile enemies to your calling. This is what's so crazy to me is that I hear people talking about, in our community group sometimes, well, you don't need to go that deep into the Jesus stuff. Well, you don't need to give that much. We don't need to sacrifice that much. You don't need to lose that much because you're trying to provide for your kids. You're trying to make sure they're set up well because whatever that reason is, sometimes it's just us disobeying the very voice of God, telling us to do something hard that we don't want to do. And so I've noticed for me, this is just me personally, I've noticed that there is a very thin line between wisdom and a lack of faith. There's a very thin line between, oh man, I'm being really wise about the future. And man, this is complete disobedience to what God is calling you to do. The shepherd has spoken. Are you listening? Are you going to obey him? And for me, I've just noticed that the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But many of us in this room have talked ourselves out of doing the very thing that God is calling us to do and then called it wisdom. And I mean, as I think about this, imagine, imagine if God was actually with you. Imagine if God was actually with you and you're staring at a valley. Imagine if God was actually with you at the table in the presence of your enemies. I mean, physically with you. Don't you kind of want to go in? Doesn't it kind of inspire you a little bit? You know, I think about like doing a police ride along with Batman. You know what I mean? It's like, I just want to see it. See, this God that I'm serving, this God that I'm with, Man, there's no enemy that can overcome him. Man, I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Man, I wanna walk through the valley of the shadow of death because I will not die. I will spend eternity in heaven with my savior. Man, this valley isn't so dark anymore. Man, the presence of my enemies, man, they're not scary anymore because I know who's with me. Let me just tell you this about calling or anointing. If God is not calling you into the valley, then who else? is going to counsel those who have been abused? Then who else is gonna foster kids in Lee County? Then who else is gonna be sent to the nations where Jesus has never been named? Who else is going to talk about Jesus in your workplace? If God's not calling you into the valley, who's gonna light it up? Who's gonna change? What God is seeing as broken and dark. And here's the truth that I love more than any other truth that we've talked about. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, if we got gut level honest sometimes, we continue to deny the voice of God and grab for our own sources of comfort, our own sources of convenience, our own sources of security and then we call it wise. I'm just setting myself up for the future. I've met people with millions in the bank who are not, who are scared if they have enough. Surely goodness and love will follow me. Underline follow me. This is the only time in the Old Testament where that phrase is used in a good light. Think about this. He's saying, chasing me down, 
pursuing me. We just talked about enemies. We just talked about evil. But it's not those two things that are chasing me down. No, it is goodness that's chasing me down. It is love that's chasing me down. See, when you have a good shepherd, even if you try to run, goodness will be chasing you down. Even if you try to find all the pleasure of the world and try to satisfy yourself, you will come up empty, but love will be chasing you down. See, when you have a good shepherd, this is what's so amazing, is he didn't just provide for you. He didn't just guide you. He didn't just lead you. Verse six shows us he made a way for us to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because our shepherd didn't just save our lives from death here and now. No, our shepherd showed up here and now and laid down his life as a sacrifice for the many so that you and I, when we look death in the face, it's not us looking and scared and afraid. No, no, no. It's us looking at as the doorway into eternal life with Jesus forever. This is what it means to live in the house of God forever. This is what it means to enjoy his presence. This is what it means to have a relationship with God. Is the Lord your shepherd? As we go into a time of communion, I just want to ask you that question. Is God your shepherd? And so what I'm going to do, we're going to go ahead. If you raise your hand, if you don't have communion, we're going to set up a moment for you to spend some time with Jesus. Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So again, if you don't have communion cup, just raise your hand. Husbands, you're going to pray over your wives. This is a time for us to encounter the presence of God together by remembering the sacrifice of our good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, you and me. So in order to set this up, I'm gonna read a passage of scripture in just a second. But before we do that, my last kind of thought that I have is uh, back to where my son is, the shepherd. And last night, I, I was thinking about this verse and I had this opportunity and it, it literally reminded me exactly what we're talking about. I don't know if you've ever had a newborn before, but as soon as you take off any warmth, they start screaming. Screaming so much that they like can't breathe, screaming. And he's screaming, he's naked, he's afraid. I'm holding him and I bring him over to the bath and I put him in the warm water. And as I put him down in the warm water, he's still screaming. But then I take a little bit of warm water and I begin to pour it over his head and I lean down and say, Shepherd, I love you. You're my child, you're my son. I love you. I had that picture in my mind for some of you. When the Lord is your shepherd, what that means, it's like God, the shepherd, holding you in his arms, pouring warm water over you, saying, you belong to me. You don't belong to the world. You don't belong to the fear. You don't belong to the anxiety. You belong to me. You're my son. You're my daughter. You will dwell with me forever. So I want to read Revelation 7 because this is where we're all going. And it'll usher us into a time of communion. Revelation 7.15, talking about dwelling in heaven forever. It says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's where we're headed. Let me pray. Father, I just pray right now. 
as we remember your sacrifice, as we take your communion. I pray that we would stop trying to prove that we are good enough, and I pray that we would just relish in your presence. God, thank you that your love and your mercy are what chases us down. Thank you that your goodness and your love go before us. God, you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Take some time with your family.